Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Today's scripture is John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, 25 through 27, and John chapter 21, verses 1 and 15 through 19. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Because this other disciple was known to the highest priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. However, Peter stood near the gate. Then the other disciple, the, other, the one known to the high priest, came out and spoke to the woman stationed at the gate, and she brought Peter in. The servant woman stationed at the gate asked Peter, Aren't you one of this man's disciple? I am not, he replied. The servants and the guards had made a fire because it was cold. They were standing around it, warming themselves. Peter joined them there, standing by the fire and warming himself. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing with the guards, warming himself. They asked, Aren't you one of his disciples? Peter denied it, saying, I am not. A servant of the high priest, a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off, said to him, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Later, Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He replies, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hand, and another will tie your belt and lead you where you, want, where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, Follow me. Word of God for the people of God. So I, I'm not sure if you noticed, but as... Uh, uh, Graydon uh, was reading scripture. It, did he seem very, uh, very bright, right? Um, you might have noticed that in the academic um, challenge, is that the right term? Scholastic Bowl, the Seawood team won. Um, so, this is the things I forgot to say uh, in the greeting. Um, as we continue our uh, sermon series talking about the discipleship pathway, that kind of pathway that you journey on to the heart of God. Remember, this is not to say that everyone follows lockstep and should conform, right? But rather that uh, everyone's journey is unique. Uh, everyone's journey to the heart of God is unique. But there are places and spaces along the way that uh, history and tradition would tell us that you'll come to. There are those moments when uh, we, um, we realize um, 
what Jesus has done for us. There are those moments when we realize what life is like as we commit our lives to Christ. There are those moments when we realize that life isn't just about what happens at the church in terms of faith, but that it happens inside us. And then there are those, um, those stops along the way when we have come to the place to where uh, faith has become not just an occasional checking in with God or adding something to our calendar, but it is, um, as Paul would say, uh, a life of praying without ceasing, where the spirit flows, where our lives are um, completely living with Jesus. In the midst of uh, these moments, uh, in between the, the first two stops and the last two stops, um, there's this thing called the wall. Um, when we look at uh, Peter's life, um, especially the part of scripture that we just read, uh, Peter hits the wall. Uh, right here at the end of John, the Gospel of John, right there um, in the midst of Passover and having his feet washed by Jesus and heading out to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane and the arrest of Jesus and the, uh, the assault on the temple guard who loses an ear, um, all the way to um, the high priest's courtyard uh, where um, the lady at the gate says, hey, aren't you with that Galilean? And he says, no, 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 it's, it's bad lighting. You, you, everybody's wearing a beard like this these days, right? Uh, and he gathers around the fire and somebody else comes up and says, aren't you one of them? And he's like, nope, nope, I, I'm, I'm a solo operator. Um, and then of course that third time, he remembers that Jesus said, um, you know, by the time the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. And of course, at that moment, Jesus, uh, Peter says to Jesus, no, not me, never. But here he is, early hours of the morning, before the crucifixion, sitting around a fire in the high priest's courtyard, and he hears the rooster crow, and he knows that he has. Peter hits the wall. His life turns upside down. A tragedy, a crisis, however you want to think about it. He is moved into a place where things do not make sense, where the uh, external activities, the, the outward journey has ceased to be sufficient, but that there is something inside him that is moving and changing. I've heard people call it um, uh, furniture getting moved around in my soul. Peter hits the wall. Uh, pastoral counselors, biblical scholars, um, you name it, um, they describe this experience either as hitting the wall or the inward journey, or even to take the devotional writer, St. John of the Cross, he calls it the dark night of the soul. And it doesn't matter how bright you are, how holy you are, how committed you are, or how focused you are, it is part of the pathway of discipleship. Um, we can see it in the life of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Uh, for my generation growing up, if you wanted to look at somebody who was holy, you went and looked at Mother Teresa. This is the woman that heard a call as a young teenage girl in an Eastern European country to go to India, to go to Calcutta, to, um, to comfort the untouchables who are dying of poverty and AIDS and sickness to hold their hand as they die. I, I gotta tell you, if, uh, if there's an example of someone who got it and got it good, it was Mother Teresa. Uh, she received the Nobel Peace Prize for her work. Um, the Catholic Church is in the process of canonizing, if not already having canonized her. 
Her official biographer upon Mother Teresa's death, um, there were um, journals, handwritten journals that Mother Teresa had kept as part of her spiritual disciplines. And she had left um, um, uh, instructions that upon her death, those journals were to be burned. They were not for historical use, they were for her use. And the biographer chose not to burn them. And having researched through those journals, came to the realization that Mother Teresa of Calcutta, for the last 10 years of her life, found herself up against the wall in a dark night of the soul, describing for herself that it felt as if there was a ceiling above her, that her prayers seemed to not even move beyond the ceiling of the room where she was in. She questioned whether she was saved, she questioned whether she was called, and she wondered whether it was um, her ego that propelled her to care for the poor of Calcutta, or whether it was actually God's call on her life. Let me be honest with you. If Mother Teresa isn't saved, there ain't no hope for this preacher. <laughs> but can you agree with me that there, is, there are points along the way? Mother Teresa is one example it doesn't matter how bright we are, how holy we are, or how focused we are, that we come upon these moments where life gets turned upside down, where life doesn't make sense, where the activities that we do externally no longer do the work of what we feel God's called us to do, and we find ourselves moving from the outward journey to the inward journey as we hit the wall. Everybody has these stories. Um, in, in fact, um, my own story, um, I, I would say that, um, that I grew up in a beaver cleaver household, right? Does anybody remember that reference? Please. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have to tell you, as I, as I work with younger clergy over time through the annual conference, they look and say, what, you had a pet beaver? <laughs> yeah, give me Nick at night any day, right? Um, I would have said that I, I lived a charmed life, that I, I grew up in the woodlands, I, I grew up in a large uh, church that was uh, vital and life-giving and equipped me for all that God had called me to be, that in college I found myself in the midst of a Wesley Foundation, a, a college campus ministry put on by the Methodist Church. Uh, in fact, it was such a wonderful place, I, I met a delightful young lady uh, named Amy there. Um, in fact, uh, you know, personal privilege here, it was 24 years ago today that we went to a Super Bowl party at the Wesley Foundation at Stephen F. Austin. I sat down to this, uh, next to this very um, attractive woman, um, not knowing anybody uh, in the place and feeling a little bit um, like I wanted to crawl into a shell. She leaned over and she, she told just a little lie because, you know, she was from East Texas and what girl from East Texas doesn't know football? But she told me, she says, I don't know much about football. If you'll tell me what's going on on the screen, I promise you'll walk out of this place knowing everybody's name and this will become your home while you're here at Stephen F. Austin. And it did. I dated Amy, we got um, engaged after seminary. Um, what a beautiful thing, right? But I would have told you that life was good and it wasn't ever gonna be bad until having gotten married and ordained and uh, sent to serve a church, I went off to clergy retreat, came home with horrible food poisoning. To make a long story short, I found myself going to a GI doctor who said, you should have a colonoscopy. And I said, no, that's for old people, I'm young. <laughs> and then to fast forward again, I found myself at Methodist Hospital with one of those really ugly little hats on my head, in the gown, in the bed, uh, about to be wheeled into surgery, where they were gonna cut, um, and I still remember the diagram, of a digestive system. We're gonna cut here and cut here and everything else will be okay. 
and it was with a red pen. And, and, and I just remember inside just shrinking, just thinking, really? And they said, well, either this or um, it's 100% likely that you'll have colon cancer by the time that you're 40. It'll be stage four and it'll take your life. So it's either this or that, which would you like? And I said, well, option looks pretty good. Let's take that one. But, but throughout, um, four open abdominal surgeries, one which was just this last uh, fall, which was, um, I really, some of you ask, why do you keep saying it was planned? Because the other three weren't. Um, and to be able to confidently say um, that I took enough time, that the church supported me, that I knew what I was doing, that I came back stronger than when I left is really kind of one of those recurring wall moments for me. Because after surgery that first time, I find myself preaching uh, to a church uh, on Sunday mornings about the good, goodness of God and the joy of the gospel and the way that God provides. But inside on Monday morning, I was terrified. When was the other shoe gonna drop? When, was I, when were they gonna tell me that they didn't get it all <laughs> and uh, that I needed to have more treatment? I wondered about my family um, as the provider. How will I provide if I'm sick? And I have to tell you that uh, I'd love for walls to be one and done, <laughs> wouldn't you, right? Oh, check that box, took care of that thing, oops, had the wrong thought, but hey, now I got it all down under control. But in reality, walls are recurring. They keep coming back around. And I have to say that it's um, almost like the scars that someone might carry from a, a cancer treatment surgery, um, that once remission comes, um, it's not about the scar being a place of weakness or where you failed, but the scar becomes a place where you identify the strength that you had. Not your strength, but the strength of God in your life. Um, these days, I manage my wall really well by some really simple statements. One is all healing comes from God. If you've ever sat in a hospital room with me and had me praying over you before you go to surgery, you're gonna hear that phrase, all healing comes from God. And the other one is that God reminds me regularly, you were never the provider. It never rode on your shoulders. That if you read scripture, that over and over again in the Psalms, the psalmist refers to God as the great provider. We all have our walls. We all have our places where we get stuck. We all have those moments when life turns upside down, when tragedy strikes, when crisis comes, when suffering is so palpable that it takes the joy out of our duty, out of the service that we offer to God, and we don't really know what the future holds. I'd be willing to say that uh, there are folk right here in this room much like me, uh, when I was um, uh, in the early stages of uh, my disease and my wall, just trying to keep a good facade, trying to keep a, a smile on your face and don't let anybody know because, you know, you anchor down this side of the pew and if people found out you were struggling, what would happen to the pew? The MOVE study, which we've been quoting and working through this whole um, uh, sermon series, uh, it talks about that spiritually stalled or dissatisfied people account for one out of four church congregants, one out of four. And in some congregations, um, as many as half the congregants would describe themselves as dissatisfied or stalled, especially with what the church is offering them and helping them to grow in their life in discipleship. But I mean, if you look around, don't. But if you look around, that's one out of four, or that's one out of two. And don't forget to count yourself when you're doing the one out of four and the one out of two. 
Walls are not a one-time event, but rather they are things we pass through regularly. Um, they are uh, something that we return to as a, a regular, ongoing relationship with God. You can look at Scripture and find biblical figures who have gone through walls and continue to find them. Um, the story of Abraham in Genesis, his whole story, his whole wall is kind of wrapped around this idea of offspring. God, um, he and God have a covenant that God will make his uh, children as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. But if you remember, Abraham was well advanced in age and had no children. The wall there he stood next to for 18 years, waiting for Sarah to have a child whose name was Ishmael. And if you remember, the wall came back around again because Ishmael wasn't uh, of, of the right um, part of the promise. And so Abraham's waiting at the wall again, waiting for Isaac. And after Isaac's born 13, 14 years, do you remember what happened? God says, take Isaac and some wood and go up and have a, a sacrifice on the altar. This is Abraham's wall where he keeps coming back around. Really, God, I waited this long. I have a child. And, and now you want me to put him on the altar? Walls are um, a place of, of beauty even in the place of being hurt. I wanna be sure that we know that um, walls are different from trials. Trials are uh, traffic jams, annoying bosses, uh, delayed airplanes, car breakdowns, fevers, right? These are trials. If we're looking at walls, walls are David fleeing a jealous king for 13 years in the desert. Walls are 11 disciples at the crucifixion watching Jesus, the son of God, be killed. Walls and trials are different. Walls offer a gift in that usually as we come into that wall, God is in a nice, neat little box, a, a clean, easy, small box. And whatever happened in our life to kind of bring about the beginning of that wall experience, oftentimes going through the wall blows open that box and we begin to see God for who God really is, the sovereignty, the mightiness, the loving, the all-encompassing good that God can be in our lives. but there's a cost of not moving through walls. Just like every stage that we've talked about, there's a, a stuckness that comes that if you uh, don't know where you are and you don't know what to grab for so that you might grow and change, that it's very easy to get stuck and stalled and dissatisfied. Over the course of uh, my ministry, I have been at churches where I have watched uh, horrible, tragic, suffering situations happen in people's lives. And instead of moving through the wall over time, they bounce off of it again and again. And every time they bounce off of it, they get a little bit more bitter and a little bit more angry and a little bit more tired. I have to say that there's something beautiful about living life uh, with Jesus, that the disciple Peter finds his way through the wall, not by his own brute strength, but by three simple questions over breakfast. You're familiar with the story right? Um, after Jesus has been crucified, laid in a borrowed tomb, um, there, there are stories of the resurrection, but in John's gospel, that story doesn't happen until the, the, the disciples get frustrated, fed up, and they go back to what they knew, which was fishing. So they get in the boat and they go out to fish, and it's not even a good day of fishing. And before long, they smell breakfast on the shore. 
And they look back and they see a small campfire and they think, we didn't leave anybody back there to make breakfast. And before long they realize that it's Jesus on the shore and he's welcoming them back. I gotta believe that that breakfast was probably a, a whole lot of chewing and not a whole lot of talking, right? I mean, you've had those moments the, the day after, the night after, the week after, when something went horribly wrong, and you're all together, gonna have a meal, but no one's talking. But everybody has something on their mind. Jesus calls Peter, and they step away from the group, and, and Jesus says to Peter um, th those simple words, right? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Now, now, this happens three times in a row, and I gotta believe that, that the frustration in Peter begins to well up. I mean, almost like he just wants to yell, can't we get this over with? I'm sorry, I screwed up. Can we somehow erase it and make it go away? But Jesus doesn't raise his voice. He says it again. Simon, do you love me? And Simon says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Do you see, for every denial that Peter offered uh, to not be associated with Jesus, Jesus offers him three times, one time each for each of the three times, to recommit himself to the work. And I imagine for Peter that this wall doesn't go away simply and easily, but he'll be circling and coming back around. That even at the end of his life, when he's been arrested by the Roman authorities, when he's been the bishop of Rome, they'll tell him, we're going to crucify you. And he says, please don't crucify me because that's how Jesus was crucified and I am nothing like Jesus. And so he convinces them uh, to crucify him upside down so that no one would ever mistake the fact that Jesus and Peter were nothing alike. Jesus was the son of God. Peter was just a fisherman. Moving through from outward to the inward journey is moving through the wall. I love the story about a guy who um, has fallen into a hole and he calls out, he says, help me, help me. And a doctor comes walking by and the doctor looks down into the hole and he gets out his prescription pad and he begins to write a prescription for the man and he pulls off the prescription and he drops it into the hole and walks away. The guy calls out again, help, help, I'm stuck in a hole and a pastor comes by. And the pastor looks in the hole and sees that he's there, pulls out a pad of paper, writes an eloquent prayer, beautiful, pulls it off the pad, drops it into the hole and walks away. The man continues to call out, help, help, I'm stuck in a hole. And before long, a, a friend comes by and he says, hey, Joe, I'm stuck in this hole. Can you help me out? And so Joe jumps down into the hole and looks at our guy. And our guy looks at Joe and says, what are you doing? We're now both stuck in the hole. And Joe says to our guy, yeah, but the thing that you don't know is I've been in this hole before and I know how to get out. Come on, let's go. In the midst of finding ourselves up against the wall, we have to remember that the one that we serve, the one that we love, the one who saves us and rescues us, isn't someone who's unfamiliar uh, un, uh, with the whole, that he walked this earth, that he was born in manger, that he taught and healed and laughed and loved and cried. 
and died for us. He knows what it's like to walk on our steps. And as hallmarky as it may sound, that, that poem called Footsteps has some truth to it. That yeah, in this stage, in this place, Jesus is walking side by side with us on the shoreline. And those moments, those moments when there's only one set of footsteps, it's not because Jesus abandoned us or left us, it's because he picked us up and carried us along the way. Friends, I can only imagine where you might be. I, you know, sometimes we think about church as the place where we, you know, do a Bible study and feel better, or we um, do some caring and love for others and we feel better. Please don't forget that the work of discipleship might lead us to a place where life is upside down, where crisis strikes, where tragedy, though it might have been childhood or young adulthood, it might have been decades away from where we are today. But if you're at that wall, don't suffer alone. There's a friend who's been in that hole before, and he knows the way out. And one way to define church, a whole bunch of people been stuck in a hole. And together, we follow the way the truth and the life, and know together with Jesus how to walk out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.